Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. Back in the Masson Web Studio, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Wednesday afternoon. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings here, back again in person, face-to-face, uh, for the second time in two weeks, which is very exciting. If you're watching live, hopefully you're joining us on the Masson Nationals Facebook page, YouTube channel, or on Twitter. And if not, perhaps you're catching us after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or SoundCloud. Wherever you get podcasts, you can find the Masson All Access Podcast, but we prefer... If you joined us live and comment along, because we love hearing your comments um, and taking your comments throughout the course of the show, making guys a part of the conversation. Amy, we established a couple weeks ago that you are an early riser uh, for your other uh, (laughs) employment. Uh, You get up earlier in the day. Did you get up early this morning? And if so, were you able to catch any of the U.S. women's national team's opening game at the U.S. Olympics? The Olympics Bobby, in Tokyo. That's a very good point. Did you? I mean, I, and I didn't even <laughs> think of it. And I was up. But yes, I was up early this morning. But no, I did not. I was told that it was a 4.30 start. And I debated whether or not to wake up for it and watch. Uh, my sister and my dad did. Uh, and I woke up did to really? text message updates from them. We lost 3 nothing to Sweden. And had I known it was Sweden, I might have considered waking up earlier for it a little more because Sweden's a very good team, and, right. and that would have been a good game. Did not go our way, but... I, I didn't. This is a perfect... Op- <laughs> there's very few things that you get out of waking up that early. One, you get to see the sunrise. Right. Two, if you have to, like, check into an early flight, nobody else is awake, so you get a good uh, boarding number. Right. Um, and this would have been a perfect opportunity. I could have capitalized on it, but dang it. Well, next time. Well, the next game is Saturday morning, 7.30, a little easier to make. Okay. That's- uh, they play New Zealand, now a must-win game since they lost last, or I guess this morning, last night, this morning, right. <laughs> uh, just a couple of hours ago. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's crazy to think that the Olympics are underway. Um, and that I, I always forget now that they're in Tokyo, that they're going to be super early in the morning for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, too, that work in baseball, mostly nights, it might be tough. It's a quick turnaround. It might be tough. Catch a couple of Zs between like midnight and four and then wake up and try to catch some of the big events. It was the opening game, so no elimination or anything like that. It was just starting group stage. Uh, but still would have been nice to see uh, the ladies take the field for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully they'll bounce back on Saturday morning. It's the, Do you like the summer or winter Olympics better? I think I prefer summer. Both are awesome. Um, I'm just happy that we have international competition again after last year. You know, we saw Euro Cup earlier this summer. We have the Olympics pushed back uh, from last year. We're going to have the World Cup in soccer next year, the Women's World Cup the following year, then the Winter Olympics coming up too. I mean, everything's – I mean, it, it sucked that we got had to get pushed back because of COVID, but now everything's coming in one big right. wave. So It's, it's going like, to be exciting. Yeah, it's, it's like, like competition bang, after bang, competition bang. after competition. I just love the international – I mean, international sports is – one of, if not the best competition, obviously in the world, but like it's just more fun because it doesn't matter who your professional team is. It doesn't matter where you're from. You, everyone's rooting for your home country. Right. You know, we could, you know, we talk about how we, the new, you know, New York Mets fans and Nationals fans could be USA fans, right? You know, that's something we can all get together and join and celebrate. Um, have you, on the note, have you seen the documentary, I believe it's on HBO Max, about the U.S. women's national team's fight for equal pay? No, but is it good? It's great. It's called LFG, 
standing okay. for let's F and go. Down. Yeah. yeah. Um, like they will explain that uh, slogan um, in the early parts of the show or the movie. I highly recommend it to anyone, okay. anyone out there who is a fan of the U S women's national team, um, women's sports in general. They're not just fighting for their own equal pay. They're fighting for all women's sports, equal pay that goes into basketball, golf, swimming, gymnastics, whoever it may be. Right. Um, it's pretty crazy. It's crazy. And if you want to get like, you know, like pumped up, mad, pumped up and mad, like right. you, you kind of leave that movie a little pissed off. Um, um, not at any particular entity other than the U S soccer federation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good watch. It's a good watch. I would highly recommend to anybody who enjoys, I mean, anyone in our society should really watch it cause it's a, it's a general scope of our society, how women don't get equal pay in any profession, nonetheless, mm-hmm. uh, athletics. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really well done. The women are fantastic. Obviously read by uh, head by uh, Megan Rapino. Um, it, it's, it's a great oh, watch. That's awesome. I need to watch. So watch that and then wake up <laughs> early Saturday morning and get ready really to go. Um, my only other advice too, and I, I keep telling people this, if you want to help out when you buy us women's soccer team gear, make sure it has a name on it. Cause that way those players at least get some cut of that. If you buy a blank Jersey or just a regular t-shirt, the Federation takes all that money. I am encouraging people to buy wow. jerseys, T-shirts, whatever, with likeness of players, names of players. That way they get at least some kind of cut uh, because they deserve it. I mean, they are just – they're one of the best teams the U.S. fields in any sport, and they deserve our full support. So that's all Bobby's preaching today. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's all I, and that's all I have to say about that. Enough about soccer. And goodbye. Go Team USA in Tokyo. Let's move on to baseball and the local team here. We got a jam-packed show for you guys. We're going to talk a lot about Juan Soto and the hot streak that he's been on to start this second half, of course. We're the national stand a week, a little over a week ahead of the trade deadline. I'm going to talk to the number one overall prospect in the Nationals farm system, Kate Cavalli. Later on in the, the show, he talks about his experience at the Futures game last week, uh, how he's adjusting to double A ball and his experience there with the Harrisburg Senators, and then also previewing his second half of the season. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up shortly. But Amy, first and foremost, I mean, after a first rough first two games against the Padres to start the second half, the Nationals have now won three in a row. They've taken two out of the first three uh, against the Marlins this week at home before heading on a road trip. Uh, and that's been led by Juan Soto. He has five home runs in five games since the home run derby. Uh, are, are we seeing a rejuvenated, um, a, a brand new Juan Soto that we didn't see in the first half of the season? I mean, I definitely don't think it's any type of coincidence that he came back from the all-star break came back from the home run derby and has half of the home runs that he had in the first half and just four games or he hit those in the first four games of the second half so it's definitely not a coincidence and he is red hot right now and he is most definitely him and Trey Turner are leading this team right now and it's a time that they need those types of guys to step up with so many injuries um, and they're they're able to sc- they've been able to score a, a whole lot of runs despite that so it's certainly led by Juan Soto and really no better time to get hot than not only to start the second half when they really need to win some games here, but also as their their schedule lightens up a little bit. Yeah, we talked about the injuries, of course. That's that's a given that the Nationals, uh, you said before we went on air, like, oh my, you just like burst out and almost tears. Like, <laughs> this team is so injured. And it's true. And, you know, this has been written a a lot of men made about, you know, the Nationals need their stars. This is a team built around their superstar talent and players, uh, Soto, Turner, Kyle Schwarber before he got hurt, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, you know, 
half of those guys I just named are on the injured list. And for in Strasburg's case, for most of the season and most of the time since he's won the World Series MVP award. So, you know, they invest a lot in these players, rightfully so. That's the, Mike Rizzo's motto. That's his MO. That's what he wants to do. You know, it's one of those things, if everyone stays healthy and plays up to their potential, this is a very good team and no one's complaining. When stuff like this happens, when injuries happen, when... You know, Juan Soto doesn't have the power numbers that we're expecting in the first half of the season. That's when, you know, it starts to become kind of a struggle and and it gets frustrating for not just the team, but the fans, the coaches. Obviously, David Martinez is doing the best he can with the talent he has. But if there's anyone on this roster uh, who can carry the Nationals to a postseason run, despite all the injuries, it's going to be Juan Soto. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a 2020-type effort that we saw last year. Obviously, wasn't enough uh, to make uh, the playoffs last year, but Juan Soto can carry, and you mentioned the easy schedule. The Nationals are kind of being blessed right now that they're only, I think, now five games back of the Mets because the Mets just lost two, and now they're got one more game against the Marlins. They got three games in Baltimore against the Orioles uh, this weekend. They play four games against the Phillies. That's another opportunity for you uh, to gain some ground. And if there's ever a player that I think in in baseball and definitely on this roster that can carry this team to some great success, it's going to be Juan Soto. Right, exactly. And maybe all it took, I mean, besides the actual technical part of it and fixing his swing and getting his timing right, maybe it was just a confidence thing. I mean, he went out there, beat Otani, played in the All-Star game. Maybe it was just kind of getting his feet under himself and now he's hitting this really, really red hot streak. And maybe that's all it took. But if there's anybody who's going to do it, it's going to be Juan Soto. Um, And they certainly need him to carry this team right now. But really what they've been able to do over this, this past week and still be able to get these wins with the patched up lineup that they have is kind of impressive. I mean, obviously, if they didn't have Juan Soto, that probably wouldn't be the case. Um, but it's been kind of impressive. And I think that's what they need to do over this next stretch, next stretch as their schedule lightens up a bit is just win some series. Like last night, you know, they won and the the Mets lost. You know, they, they won a game in their division and the Mets lost. So the, those types of wins will help you and just win these series and just stay, keep your head above water um, as we approach the trip. Trade, trade deadline. Yeah, you could be entering uh, an off day tomorrow on Thursday, uh, theoretically tied for third place. I, I know the Braves, I'm trying to do some quick math here. The Braves have a doubleheader today against the Padres. I think they're about to get underway as we go live right now. Then uh, Nat, The Nats obviously played the Marlins tonight. Who they have, knock on wood, I'm going to jinx them right now, mm-hmm. but they're undefeated against the Marlins at home uh, this season. It's only been, I think, now five games, but it's still... They, they have that number. Um, the Mets still play today, and then you, you have the Phillies next week. So, I mean, the Nationals could find themselves at the end of the day today in third place, maybe by themselves or tied for it, um, and, and only three, three and a half games back of, of the Mets, entering, another, like we said, another series where you're playing an inferior opponent in, in, in Baltimore, uh, up at Camden Yards, uh, and playing the Orioles, you know, you, you, we could be looking at going in onto Monday, a four-game set in Philly, and that could be a big chance for the Nationals to either take over second place, to close the gap between them and the Mets. I haven't really dove, dived too deep into the Mets schedule. I don't know what it looks like for them the rest of the way, but I know for the Nationals, it looks pretty easy, and the way Juan Soto is swinging the bat right now, it's not inconceivable that they can make some kind of run right here. After the Phillies, even if you end up splitting that at least – you still play the Cubs back at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Cubs, you know, at that point, it's kind of funny that they're playing the Cubs the day of the trade deadline on, on 30th and all the rumors about Chris Bryant and everything. <laughs> that could be very exciting in Nationals Park for a different reason, not on not about the home team. But, you know, you play a Cubs team that 
everyone's expecting to kind of sell off their pieces before then. That's an easy series that you could possibly win. And then you get into August, the dog days of August, and you're looking for another stretch. You play the Phillies again four more times at home this time. You don't play the Braves until the, the first week. So it, it could be uh, an interesting stretch right here. And I feel like we're just beating the same drum we've done all season long, which was get through the tough part of the first half of the season with a chance, which they've done, you know, six games, five games back now. That's that's, that's not out of it. That's a chance. Um, and see how the second half treats you and hopefully start getting some of these guys back. Right. Healthy. And they are, they couldn't have asked for more. I mean, going into this season, all the talk was NL East is going to be one of the strongest divisions in baseball. And they couldn't have asked for more help from the rest of this division. I mean, everybody's kind of in similar places right now. It's just going to take one team to go on a really good stretch and kind of take off and and, and that's what Mike Rizzo said when he addressed the media uh, just this week is he was like, you know, right now, like the plan from what he said is to, to be buyers. But this next week is really going to depend on how close they can they can get to the Mets before that trade deadline. I did think it was interesting that Riz said, you know, they are kind of planning to be sellers, too, though. I feel like that's the first time we've heard him openly acknowledge that, you know, if things don't go the right way over the next week or so. No one's off the table, including Max Scherzer, which we talked about yeah, last week. What did he say? He had his line casted yeah. like, to be buyers. But, of course, if it comes down to it, they they could be sellers as well. They have both sides kind of prepared. And that's a tough position to be in because that completely <laughs> changes your whole strategy at the trade deadline. Um, it's really tough to be so close and be in such a tight division at this point. Yeah, this is the full quote from Riz, Riz via our own Mark Zuckerman on MassInSports.com. Bear with me while I read it. We still have some games to play before we make those kind of decisions, but I think a dual path is probably the most advantageous for us right now. We'll have our lines in the water on the buy side. We'll also prepare some type of sell scenario if we have to, but we're looking forward to playing better baseball for the next two weeks and see if we can creep closer to the New York Mets and see if we can make some noise in the National League East. I, again, I think that's the, one of the first times, if not one of the very few times that we've seen Rizzo openly acknowledge that, yes, selling is definitely a possibility in the next week or so. I remember going back to like 2018, and, and I, I, if I remember correctly, he was very firm and standing in that, no, we are looking to get better. We're looking to buy. We are looking to compete. And, of course, they ended up selling off after the non-waiver trade deadline in August. So, you know, this he's openly saying, you know, we're playing it both ways uh, with a week to go, which I, I thought was kind of surprising. I think it's very honest of him. And, I, you know, as, as reporters, as media members, I appreciate that. Even as, you know, I'm sure the fan base appreciates the honesty, too, being like, you know, because if things don't go well, we should sell. So I get both sides. And, and Mike Rizzo being a little more open than we've uh, – Grown accustomed to well, and him. I think probably like the most concerning part about that is that they're obviously not out of it, but I think he probably sees just how beaten up this roster is right yeah. now, and there's really no clear timeline on when they're getting guys back, like Kyle Schwarber, like Steven Strasburg, um, and I think that probably goes in factors into that decision more than just how they're playing right now. I mean, they just won three games in a row. Um, I, I don't think it has so much to do with how they're playing, but the potential of getting these guys back and really looking toward the future with the lineup that they have with the rotation that they have at this point. Yeah. And uh, I, it'll be interesting. Absolutely. Uh, of course, we'll have coverage on the, the trade deadline all leading up all next week on both the podcast on mass and all access on mass Um But, you know, I, I think like we said earlier, the player that could carry them, to a little more contention would be Juan Soto. And I thought this stat was super interesting because we talked about could the home run derby actually fix his swing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're 
we could sit here and look at it and say, yes, it's fixed because he hit five home runs. But digging to actual numbers, this is via Blake Finney of, of uh, a friend, friend of the pod over at Federal Baseball. Since the All-Star game, Soto has 16 batted balls. Nine of them have been over 100 miles per hour, and his average exit velocity is 98.5 miles per hour. So he's almost averaging hitting the ball 100 miles per hour since the All-Star break. Of course, the five, uh, the five home runs uh, are very good. We talked about a couple of weeks ago his kind of stat cast, um, you know, spray charts um, and where he ranks in the uh, league's percentile rankings. His average exit velocity is 94th percentile, max exit velocity 95th, hard hit balls 97 percentiles, expected on base average 98th percentile, expected batting average 99th percentile in the league. Uh, and he is in the 100 percentile in chase rate, so he doesn't chase the ball any well. I, we just talked about him getting the ball up in the air, right? And I, I feel like he had a really good swing late in last night's game that ended up being a fly out to left center. But in my mind, it was like, you know what? As long as he's elevating the ball, right? If, if It doesn't matter if it turns into an out. If the ball's getting up in the air, Juan Soto has a chance to either go deep or, or be on base, you know? So I think we're seeing good things from Juan. And, you know, he, he, he said it himself. He thinks the home run derby helped out his swing. Uh, much of the chagrin of the Washington Post's Jesse Doherty, uh, who's getting just uh, eviscerated on Twitter uh, since then. But you know, I, I think there is something to be said about him just trying to elevate the ball that much in a short period of time during the derby and then now trying to do the same thing at the plate. Well, yeah, because in the first half, more than half of his hits were ground balls. Right. That's like the sixth most was the sixth most in the league. And now it seems like almost it's not just all of his home runs that are, you know, he obviously loves to hit home runs to opposite field, but they're all going that way. His hits, his extra base hits, he's getting doubles, but they're all in the air. He's elevating the ball. He's obviously hitting the ball extremely hard. And that's what you want to see. I mean, I think that's the example of a fixed swing. You know, you're, it's not just home run or bust every time. He's still getting on base at his usual clip, which is super, super yeah. high. Um, and it's not just home run or bust. He's getting those ex other extra base hits, going opposite field and hitting the ball really hard. Yeah, and the other thing with the ground balls, too, it's like he's already hitting into the same amount of double play balls as he did all of last season, I think. That is something he does not do very often. And this year has been, you know, that number, that rate has been astronomically high for him. Um, and I... Don't have it have a check, but I don't feel like he is hit, hit into a double play ball yet to start the second half. I think it's only five games, obviously, but still, that's a one of those trends too. That's the ball, you know what? Because the ball's in the air, mm -hmm. um, and he's not putting on the ground, and he's also going the opposite way. He had another slap single last night, I think, to the left field, which was a really good at bat by him. And that's you know, you hear FP Santangelo talk about it all the time. You hear Dan Coco talk about it all the time on the broadcast. When Juan Soto is able to use the entire field, I love that graphic that they use on Mass and the spray, spray chart, chart, and yeah. it's just a, it's even across to left, center, and right field. Uh, and, and when that is the case, and especially maybe even a little more toward the opposite way, that's when you know Juan Soto's locked in because the ball's getting in the air and he's able to use all fields. And you just love not only, I mean, you love his swing, but just the way he works at bats, waits for his pitches, like isn't swinging away, um, I think is awesome to see, especially coming, I mean, especially in the position that he's in, right? He has to lead this team. He feels like, you know, he's the only guy that's that's hot right now. You don't want him to go up there and be doing too much, but he still just looks so at ease, the Soto shuffle at the plate. <laughs> um, and that's something that you don't see, especially at his age. I mean, he's always, he came right up and just looked at ease at the plate, uh, wasn't too hungry 
hungry and he's still been able to do that, which is really good to see, not only after the home run derby, but the position that he's been asked to, to be in right now. Yeah. So we know Juan, you know, we, we just talked about how he can be the one to carry this team right now. Easier schedule, still some banged up injury guys. Who, uh, who else on the current roster, on the active roster, that's still playing on a mostly everyday basis, who else do you think could also step up and, and not play Batman to Soto, I mean, play Robin to Batman, Soto's Batman, but you know Just what I mean? Step up. You know, step up and, and kind of be that second guy to to really kind of catalyst this offense. Well, I think what is interesting is Davey Martinez is kind of playing around with this idea of starting oh, yeah. Bell in left field, and that way you can get Bell and Ryan Zimmerman in your lineup. And Ryan Zimmerman has extremely cooled off since the start of his season. So I think what Davey Martinez is asking for is these are two guys that could really step up um, and need to step up in this lineup, and he's trying to figure a way to get them both in, both in the lineup. Bell has been doing his job pretty well, and Ryan Zimmerman stepped up last night as well but those are two guys that aren't going to be you know the robin but they they could be important pieces in this lineup yeah i, I think that's a great point I, I i was i was definitely considering trey turner that might be not too obvious i think your point of that because that's been talked about you know almost every single day since the all-star break now is davy's been asked pregame when are we going to see both of them in the lineup at the same time he's not quite sure you know it takes two things it takes Josh Bell to be comfortable out there in left field, in the corner outfield. Um, he hasn't even begun throwing yet. He hasn't even, like, t- get in a, gotten a ball a and thrown it back into the infield. Right? Uh, Davey has also said that, you know, they might have to make adjustments where the infielders go out a little far, farther than they're used to to help him out. So that would be Trey Turner going out there to try to be the relay guy. We know the arm strength that Trey has, so that might not be quite as big of a deal. Um, and then also... You know, you need Ryan Zimmerman to uh, be hitting consistently at, at first base if he's going to play first base on a more consistent basis. Mark Zuckerman talked about this the other day in his morning post on the blog, and, and those are the two things. And I think we're getting closer to one of those things. I think Josh Bell uh, shagging fly balls. He was doing a drill where he has his back to the plate, and they hit a fly ball to him, and he has to turn around and find it um, um, out there before the games, before during batting, batting practice. Uh, so once he is able to maybe throw the ball into the infield, I think he's closer to being able to be play in the left field. He did play a little bit his rookie year in the, with the pirates. So it's not completely foreign to him, but I think also how do you get Zimmerman back on track so that you feel comfortable playing him every day at first base, uh, while he's still sitting on the bench because Josh Bell hasn't been out there in the game situation. He's still playing on first base you will have the dh this weekend in baltimore that could possibly help um but you know i I think we're closer to seeing bell in the outfield than zimmerman playing every single day at first Mm, it definitely takes both sides to come together to make that work but i think you know davy martinez kind of saying you know these are the guys that need to step up because some like for a lot of days the rest of their lineup is not unrecognizable but a lot of names that you did not see in this lineup at the beginning of this year or even on this roster a month ago yeah um so those are guys that you know you want them to go in there and do their job every single day but you can't expect them to be the stars that josh bell and ryan zimmerman could be for this next stretch you know there's also another um question that needs to be asked i guess as we talk about the roster and who else needs to step up i, I think obviously we just talked about bell um and, and trey turner I, you know trey turner doesn't really need to step up he's more so just needs to keep doing what he's doing mm-hmm. right i don't don't think we need to dive too deep into what trey needs to do because he's already doing it uh but you know our producer paul mancano who is 
uh, working the sticks behind the scenes, brought up this question before we went on air. Who is going to play third base for the long term? Josh Harrison has done everything that Dave Martinez has asked him to do. Left field, center field, I think, at some point. Uh, second base, third base. He, can he can't play every single day in every single position every single day. You know, obviously with the Starling Castro uh, ish, uh, situation, that's less than ideal. But like Rizzo was saying yesterday, they don't expect him to be back. So that chapter is closed. Let's move on. Uh, who, who do you see? playing third base or at least helping out at third base during the second Well, half. the thing is, is now they're kind of, it's, it's like the same conversation that we had at, at, to start this season once yeah. we found out Carter <laughs> Keeboom wasn't going to be the everyday third baseman is like, what now? And what we talked about with Josh Harrison was that he was not an everyday player before. Yeah. You couldn't expect him to go out there every day. And he has done more than you could have asked. I mean, plugging him, him in every single position, um, but there, it has to be a long-term fix. You need somebody at the everyday third baseman. And Bobby, what is your prediction? My prediction you had a good. I I don't know if it's a prediction. It's just a thought that crossed my mind because you know I'm also trying to keep track of the minor league teams. Mark has his hands full, of course, covering the major league team pretty much by himself. I chip in when I can, but you know, trying to keep an eye on the minor league teams. Um, and, and you know, I get the. I see the roster moves that they make every single day, the lineups and stuff like that. And I have noticed that Luis Garcia, and someone even asked me on Twitter yesterday, what's up with Luis Garcia? He was reinstated from the injured list a week ago. He played last Tuesday and Thursday, hasn't played since. Um, and I not doesn't seem to be injury-related. Injury he, I think he had like three hits and with, a, with like a three-run home run in that second game and was removed early because I think the Red Wings were kind of running away with it. And it from what everything I dug up, he was not injured. So he, he was moved early from the game, hasn't played since. They were rained out on Saturday. So they've only played two games, I guess three now, last, including last night, since last Thursday. Derek Dietrich, Dietrich am I saying that right? Dietrich mm -hmm. has been in the lineup every single day since at second base. Mm -hmm. Second base, not third base. Third base is still being played by uh, uh, Adrian Sanchez. I think that they are trying to get him reps at bats so he can be back into a game's flow situation and be ready to be called up or contract selected, whatever it is, uh, to get, add some veteran depth to the minor league or to the major, major league, league bench. Um, and Because he plays multiple positions. He has played in the outfield too. He can play third. He can play second. He's basically Josh Harrison 2.0. <laughs> so that just gives Josh some a breather every now and then or some help and Davey some more flexibility. So if you move him up, do you put him at third or and keep Josh Harrison at second or swap so him? Derek has been playing mostly second at AAA. My guess is that they want him to play, play second, second and Harrison long term at third base. I think Harrison has got a lot of uh, getting a lot more reps at third uh, this week. Right, he played third last night. Who's been playing second? I don't even know who played second last night. Oh, oh, Escobar. And then he got, hit, then by he the got hit by a pitch. Injuries just keep coming. This is insane. Right. Um, so I, I that think that seemed to have been working. Right. I mean, he was was doing his job, and then he get hit, got hit by a pitch, and we don't really know how that's going to go for him. So, just ugh, it's the just injury bug. Wave now, after wave. We after have wave. a lot of comments. One of them, my friend Jordan Nicewerner, saying, "What about Chris Bryant? Chris Bryant could be your everyday third base." And I think we're hearing a lot of that. 
I don't think it's realistic, especially after hearing from Mike Rizzo saying, well, we could probably very likely be sellers at the deadline. I don't think they're going to go after a name like that. Would be a good fix, but I think if they didn't do it going into this season when his name was tied so heavily with the Nationals, why now? Obviously, Starling Castro was a temporary fix, but I don't think at this point they're going to go after somebody like that to fill that hole. And that's my whole thing. That's, that's the point. If, if you didn't want to do it earlier in the season, what? why would you want to do it now when the price is going to be even higher? Um, yes, I, I saw the tweet last night about some someone saying that they the deal was pretty much done um, and that guy had receipts that he was right about the Josh Bell trade back in December. Okay, I saw that. So if he's right, he's right. That's, that's, that's fine. But he had it only as three prospects going back to the Cubs uh, for Chris Bryant. And that's where I didn't believe it because I was like, Chris Bryant's going to command way more than that. Right, and- Manny Machado for the Orioles cost at least four, if not five by himself. Chris Bryant's going to probably five, cost the same. Yeah. And who do they have? Well, it, he said <laughs> Keyboom, Tim Kate, who pitched last night, and then another prospect. I don't know who that other prospect would be. And I, my guess would be that the Cubs would want Keyboom and also one of Cavalli and Rutledge. And then we know the Nationals aren't going to part ways with one of those guys. I think that, yeah. I mean, obviously they can get them for for a little bit cheaper, but still not the, what they can afford. I don't think that's going to happen. But it would be a good fix, especially I mean, that's, right that's now. That's the solution right there. And you would think that you would trade and then sign a long-term deal with him. Again, that goes back to our off-season conversation of if you would do it for Chris Bryant, why wouldn't you have just done it for Anthony Rendon two years ago? If you're going to trade for Chris Bryant now at the deadline, why wouldn't you have just done it before the season started? Mm-hmm. Now it's going to cost more. So we'll see, you know, um, I mean that, 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 that person on Twitter did say that it's, it's should happen by the end of the week. If it happens by Saturday, then that that'll blow my mind for sure. But I just don't see that happening. I, I also, why, if you're the Cubs, why would you trade right now, knowing that if you hold on to him as long as possible, you can get more uh, out of teams who, who want his services? Right. Well, with that being said, with all these positions of need right now, I'm kind of trying to figure out who, who can fill in. Bobby, who do you think that the Nationals need back the most right now? I want to go Steven Strasburg. Uh, I, I think Kyle Schwarber is, uh, is an obvious one, too. He's definitely a candidate. My thing with Strasburg is, I mean, if, but the caveat is, he, he's got to be Steven Strasburg. You know, you can't be getting hurt Steven Strasburg. You can't be getting struggling Steven Strasburg like we saw earlier. You need, you know, end of 2019 World Series type Steven Strasburg. Um because otherwise, I mean, it's it's not going to be really... The Nationals really need, outside of the offense, which has, has been strong to start the second half, the Nationals really need deep starting pitching. They got it from John Lester two nights ago, his best outing of the season, seven innings, seven strikeouts, um, only six hits, I believe, on only 81 pitches. Paulo Espino has been, shockingly, one of the most consistent pitchers they've had. He, he went five last night. Uh, we know what Max Scherzer can provide. Eric Fetty uh, has been up and down uh, since his... Great stretch to end the second half, uh, starting with, I think, that last start in, in San Francisco. If they can get Strasburg back, and also Patrick Corbin, we forget about Patrick Corbin last year, last week too. If they can get Strasburg back, and he is more like the Strasburg that we saw in 2019, fully healthy, fully functional, fully efficient. I think that does wonders for the entire pitching staff and maybe even the offense too. He can go deep into games. He can save the bullpen. You're, getting, you're giving guys like Kyle Finnegan, Ryan Harper, whoever it might be that's mm-hmm. bridging the gap between starter and Daniel Hudson and Brad Hand uh, some more rest. 
uh, and less innings. I think that helps out so much and also takes pressure off the other starters and allows the offense to do their thing. Right, because here's the thing is even in the game where they got smacked 24 to 8, they still scored eight runs. Their offense was still able to put up eight runs. And when you score eight runs, you should be able to win a game. So um, I think Kyle Schorber's bat is very important. He carried this team throughout all of June. Um, and that's really important. But the obvious answer is you need Steven Strasburg back. The caveat is that you don't know what you're getting because he hasn't been Steven Strasburg since he signed that contract. Right. So you don't know exactly what you're getting. He had a minor setback just uh, last week or just a few days ago with his neck, but seems to be doing okay. Um, you just don't know what you're getting. But obviously, the way that this roster is constructed, you want that strong rotation, and Steven Strasburg could really be the difference. You mentioned you've been getting everything. The more you could ask about Paulo Espino, he had that rough outing but he had a bounce back start just last night um john lester has been doing better um you need more out of patrick corbin obviously and but this rotation needs help right now this pitching staff needs help and their offense is keeping them in games putting enough runs giving them enough run support uh steven strasburg getting him back is going to be really important the thing is just don't have a set timeline on that yeah it's it's it's, if you mentioned the setback he did throw off a mound for the first time the other day. He's supposed to throw again uh, either today or I think or tomorrow before the Nats head up to Baltimore uh, to face the Orioles. So, you know, we could have an update on Strauss as early as Thursday pregame from David Martinez and a more set time. And the other thing, too, is that he's going to have to go on a rehab assignment, right? He's going to go have to go pitch mm-hmm. somewhere. They can't just activate him after a couple bullpen sessions. He's going to need to face live hitters, some kind of rehab assignment down the minor leagues. So you're looking at at least a week, if not two, uh, before Strasburg is even as close to uh, getting back to the major league roster. And every day that he's not doing that, it gets pushed back even further, right? It's, it's just crazy that when you think, I mean, going into the season, you have Max Scherzer, Steven yeah. Strasburg, um, a good Patrick Corbin, you know, like we saw when he signed with the Nationals. Um, and then, of course, so- signing John Lester. I think everybody was excited. You know, he's still so great this late in his career. And at this point, it's Paulo Espino, Eric Fetty, you know, Joe Ross there for a bit. He's hurt, obviously, right now. Um, what they've been able to do and still win games with this rotation has been impressive for the most part um and that might have to do is their or their um lineup is scoring runs for them a lot of times um and the bullpen has come up big in a few games also blown a few but it's it's not going to last forever it's not sustainable so they need to get these guys back they need to get them healthy and it starts with steven strasberg and, and i mean not to brush over you know the need uh for college forward because he obviously helps a lot too the question though would be you know, when he's back, is he going to be the Kyle Schrober that we saw in June or is he going to be the Kyle Schrober that we saw right. in early May? It uh, took him a bit to get going. Right. When he got hot, he was hot, and that's how hitters usually are, but that's exactly right. You don't really know what you're getting. I, I, Kyle Schrober helps no matter what, right? But it, it is going to be, you know, there might be an adjustment curve for him coming back from such a long absence. Uh, hopefully he has no setbacks with that hamstring issue. Those are always so tricky, uh, especially with guys, you know, position players who, who go out and are running a lot. Um, but, they man, they could really use that power that he displayed in early June uh, before the injury. And, uh, you know, that obviously helps out Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Victor Robles. We talked about him a lot, how much he, they need him. But they can't really depend on him. They can depend on their stars, their guys that are, you know, the top of the lineup. Um, and, you know, if, if, Kyle Schwarber coming back and hitting the way he hit 
kind of negates the need for going out and trading for a bat like a like a Chris Bryant. So it'll be interesting to see how, how these guys come back. I think those are your top two guys for sure. Don't want to brush over the guys in the bullpen either. Tanner Rainey mm-hmm. coming, coming back. We've seen some good uh, little sequences from him over the course of the early part of the season uh he's go he's down with injury as well if he comes back that also just you know gives guys in the bullpen a little more break a little more rest and then you add a steven strasburg and everyone's a little more rest up and fresh yeah well and the good thing about getting kyle schwarber back is not just his bat but then you have your left fielder bat right which kind of relieves a lot of the other you know Plug and play. Don't so. need to try to play Bell and Zimmerman at the same time. Exactly, exactly. So that'll help defensively as as well. And also, like, their catchers. Like, we were talking about pitching, um, and they kind of need their catchers back. So that could be a big difference, too. And they can help in the lineup as well. Alex Avila is apparently pretty close to being back. He went out and caught a bullpen, I think, yesterday. Um, still no firm update on Jan Gomes, which is a little concerning. Hopefully those guys are back. But... You know, before we kind of wrap up, let's give credit where credit is due. Uh, Tres Barrera has been really good. Only five games, small sample size, yes. But, I mean, Dave Martinez has nothing but high praise for the guy, the way that he's approached the game, the effort he's given, and the results that he's produced. His first career home run the other night. He's had a couple mm-hmm. multi-hit games since joining the Nationals, which is great to see. The pitchers seem to really appreciate the way that he's worked with them behind the plate. Um, you know, Tres Barrera has filled in admirably in an emergency situation when your top two catchers go down and he's played really well. I'm not saying it's sustainable. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying he's going to be the one to carry this team second half of the season, but he's at least bridging that gap between uh, injury and healthiness for the top two catchers. Well, and it's good to see him. Like it's good to see him up and getting reps because we talk so little about the the catchers uh, in this organization. And that's because there are so few and they aren't the star worthy players like some other organizations. Um, but you know, we talked about it towards the beginning of the season when they were going after a catcher and signed Alex Avila. It's it's like, well, what about the guys that are already in their organization? Yeah. Like, maybe throw them up there. Like, they've been around for quite a bit. I think it's time to, you know, come up and either you perform or you don't. Uh, so that's been good to not only see him getting reps, but also doing pretty well in the position that he's been put in. And it's also, again, super telling the Nationals' plans, um, and the fact that they he did just come back from injury, but doesn't seem like they have any plans to bring up Carter Keyboom, doesn't seem that they have any firm plans to bring up Luis Garcia either. They want mm-hmm. them playing every day at the AAA level. Interesting, interesting to see how that will shake out uh, for the rest of the season. All right, Amy, is, uh, any more topics you want to touch on before you and I get out of here for this week? I think that's that's everything, but obviously these next few games or series are going to be really important. Their schedule lightens up. Um, they have to just get some series wins here, um, and they need Juan Soto to stay hot. Yeah, absolutely. They wrap up the series against the Marlins tonight at 7 o'clock, 6.30 pregame on Mass, and be sure to tune in. Off day tomorrow on Thursday before the Battle of the Beltways heads to Baltimore. The Orioles and the Nationals. The Nationals coverage will be on Mass in two throughout the weekend, 7 o'clock on Friday, 6.30 on Saturday, and a 1 o'clock start on Sunday afternoon. Give Amy Jennings a follow on Twitter at Amy Jennings News. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. And be sure to check out the Mass and All Access podcast wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or SoundCloud. You can find us wherever you find podcasts and check out our live show every single week on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page, YouTube channel, or on Twitter. 
I've also been doing our series recaps. They're back after the All-Star break, so the next episode will drop Thursday morning, uh, recapping this Marlins series and previewing that Battle of the Beltways. I caught up with Cade Cavalli, the Nationals' number one overall prospect, last week, talking about his experience at the MLB All-Star Futures game a couple weeks ago, looking ahead to his second half of the season and how he's adjusting to double-A hitters uh, at, with the Harrisburg Senators. Check out that interview. Back on the Mass and All Access podcast, and I'm now joined by the Nationals' number one overall prospect, Cade Cavalli. Cade, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate you joining the show. Good to see you. Good seeing you, too. I appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, a lot's been going on. Uh, You and I were supposed to talk earlier this season, but you've had a busy summer so far. Of course, a promotion of Double A. You were selected as the Nationals' representative in the Futures game this past Sunday. What was that honor like uh, to be selected to that game, and what was the whole experience like going to Denver and playing on Sunday? Man, it was awesome. Um, it was for sure one of the best baseball experiences I've had. Um, I love uh, just being able to be the one to represent the Nats, and um it was a really, really cool opportunity to get to be around um, that group of talent that was there. Um, a bunch of those guys, you know, you get to pick their brains, just sitting in the bullpen with them, talking about how we do pitching, um, just trying to learn off of each other and um, just making new relationships there. Um, and then the the treatment that the All-Star game um, that they did for us was incredible, um, you know, it felt like it was, a, it was a little taste of the big leagues and it just shows you what that life life, uh, life is like. And um, I'm for sure just got, I got a little bit more of a, a drive now. And like, um, you know, it was just, it was good to get a little taste of it. And, you know, I'm, that's my, my goal to get to where I'm playing in stadiums like that every, every week. And um, that's what I'm going to keep working for. So it was a really cool opportunity to just be able to go get a little taste of it. You struck out two and hit over 100 miles per hour on three straight fastballs in that game. Uh, was that kind of the plan going in? Were you going in and trying to show your best stuff, or were you just wanting to go and have fun, and that was the end result that you got? Yeah, I just I wanted to go in and enjoy it. Um, I don't know if you can tell. I was up there smiling and laughing because I knew a bunch of those guys I was pitching to, like Spencer Torrelson, Austin Martin. Uh, I knew of Riley Green, Jeter Downs. Like, I mean, those – those are some great hitters and just be like, be able to compete against them. I was just having fun with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I want to go out there and attack with my fastball and just let that play. And that's what I did. Well, yeah. I mean, you showed well, what was one, maybe one of your biggest takeaways or like, what's the one memory that's going to stick out uh, to you from that game when you look back out in a couple years from now? Um, I think that at bat with Jeter Downs, that was, that was really, really fun. It was a long at bat. I just kept feeding him fastballs, and I think it was either a 2-2 or a 3-2 through the changeup and got him to chase a little bit. Um, that was just a really fun battle. And, I mean, I think the greatest memory is walking out of that tunnel for the first time. And I didn't know how many fans were going to be there or, like, what the um, attendance would be, but it was more than I expected. And whenever I walked out, I was just like, Holy moly, I was very amazed, and it felt felt really, really cool to be there. Well, you now are entering the second half of your season now with Double A. Of course, a month ago, you got promoted from Single A Wilmington to Double A Harrisburg. Uh, Since we didn't get a chance to talk to you back then, 
Uh, what was just kind of that experience like? What do you remember about the day that they told you that you're going to be promoted to the senators? And uh, what were your emotions going through that day? Yeah, um, we had just got back in the locker room after a game, and uh, Shieldsy, Thomas Shields, our manager in Wilmington, he um, pulled the team together for one of our few meetings, and um, he was just like, we have two guys going up to uh, Harrisburg, and then he said uh, my name and Matt Cronin's name, and all the boys got hyped. It was, it was a really, really cool moment. Um, it was uh, – it was almost bittersweet. Um, I had gotten uh, very close with that coaching staff and that team. And um, whenever I was leaving them, it was pretty sad. Everyone was hugging each other by. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's great. That says a whole lot about our organization. We get very close as a team. It's a very family-oriented, family, family like, culture that we have. And be able to feel those feelings of, like, you know, I'm very excited to move on to the next level, keep chasing my dreams, but knowing the relationships I have built down in Wilmington that are going to last through my whole career, my whole life, um, it was really cool just to be able to feel that because um, I know that maybe in other organizations, it's like just move on, move on. And just to know that I had the kind of support from my team and that coaching staff and what they felt about me and what I felt about them, I think it just speaks a whole lot about our, our organization. Well, you now have four double-A starts underneath your belt uh, as you again start the second half. You have another one coming up this weekend. Uh, what was maybe the biggest adjustment for you at double-A or something that you've learned on or maybe even are still working on um, as you kind of get acquainted with the new hitters and the new level of batters that you're facing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that, you know, it's the same game for me. Um, a lot of the times... If I'm struggling, it's because I'm doing something to myself. It's not normally the other team doing something that's hurting me. So in, in this instance, you know, I've been walking more guys than I would like to. And I know that I've been a little fringy at times or a little too fine with my pitches, trying to be a little too perfect or try to trick them here and there instead of really just attacking. But I think that that's been a really, really good learning moment for me getting to double A because these, these hitters are a little more disciplined. I can, I can tell that a little bit. Um, so I think that if I just keep attacking the zone and just going to enforce my fastball and throwing my secondary for strikes, I think, I think it'll be really good. And uh, that's what I'm going to try to do. Well, you also have a familiar face rejoining you on the on the Harrisburg Senators. Your former college teammate Brad Brady Lindsay, excuse me, uh, was promoted the other day. Uh, he's a catcher, dra same draft class as last year. Uh, is there some chemistry you guys have uh, when he catches you and uh, is behind the plate and during your starts? Yeah, of course. Um, me and him are best friends off the field, and um, it's really cool knowing that we were just last year in college together competing and. Two years before that, we were just, we've been competing together for such a long time that we do know each other um, on the field and off the field. And it's it's very good uh, being able to throw to someone that, you know, you've known for, for a long time. And um, it, it's funny because I didn't really throw to him too much in college. Um, I was throwing to uh, Justin Mitchell um, quite a bit. And then uh, we did throw to each other a few times in college. And then once I got to Wilmington, we're throwing pens, talking about how we're going to pitch. And we got to know each other very well from him behind the dish and me on the mound. 
And whenever I, I did throw it to him in Wilmington, it was really, really cool experience. And uh, I thought we did very well together. Well, looking back at last year's draft, of course, you were the first-round pick for the Nationals. This year's draft just occurred this past week with the Nationals selecting 20 new players. Uh, what kind of memories do you have looking back at last year? It was only a year ago you and I talked after you were selected 22 overall by by the Washington. Uh, and, and what advice, if any, would you have to give uh, Brady House, who was selected in the first round this year, and any of the other Nationals draft picks? Yeah. Uh, um... You know, it's, it's a very emotional night for you. It's life-changing. Um, you get to go do something that you've dreamed of. At least for me, I had dreamed of being a professional baseball player my entire life. And I wanted to play in the big leagues one day. And that's the biggest step is getting drafted. Now you have you, – you enjoy that moment. And then instantly it's turn your mind on to how am I going to get better Every single day I get to step out on that field or go to the weight room. It's how I'm going to get better because those days add up, little little things add up, and they make a big difference. So once you, you have your draft day, enjoy every second of it, and then instantly it's turned to compete mode because you're competing to get to the next level all the time. And um, that's, that's what I've done. And you enjoy little moments within competing. And um, you have to fall in love with the work. Uh, you know, minor league baseball is completely different than high school or college baseball. You know, you're playing every single day. Um, you're getting to the field a lot, a lot earlier than normal. You don't have class. You know, this is your job, and um, you give your full time and full effort to it every single day. And you have to fall in love with that in order to be great. And if you ever don't fall in love with it and it becomes wearing on you, then, you know, you got to take a step back and realize – hey, this is my job. I got to go, whatever my hands are doing, I got to do it at the best of my ability. And um, I mean, that's that's the advice I would give to Brady. And just, I want to congratulate him on it and tell him to enjoy every second of it. You know, baseball's fun. It's a game. And sometimes you got to keep it light too on top of getting, getting to work. Well, Speaking of having fun, we know that you like to have fun off the field with a little uh, hobby in terms of giving your uh, teammates and even Davey Martinez back in spring training some haircuts. You know, I have to ask you about it before I let you go. Have you been able to give your teammates and maybe some coaches haircuts at Wilmington and Harrisburg? And how's that going as uh, you get into your first full season of pro ball? Yeah, I've been cutting quite a bit of hair, actually. Um, I got two haircuts today. Well, maybe three if we have time, but no, it's it's funny. After BP, I'll be cutting guys' hair. Um, I was cutting a lot of hair in Wilmington. Um, no, it, it's funny. Uh, I would have never expected to be a team barber looking back three years ago whenever I started. Um, never would expect to go cut Davey's hair or Hickey's hair. Um, so it's it's pretty funny. It, it is. Well, I, I'm still down if you are. Once things start opening up a little bit more and we're able to travel a little bit more uh, coming down to Harrisburg or wherever you are uh, and maybe doing a segment with you while, uh, while I get a fresh haircut. How's that sound? Oh, I'm 100% down. We'll, we need to make that happen for sure. Sounds good. Sounds good. Give Kate a follow at tw- on Twitter at Kate Cavalli. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your, uh, your answers and uh, good luck for the rest of the second half of the season and we look forward to seeing you. Hope Maybe up soon with the Nationals. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate you.